Hi, my name is Joe Jackson. I'm a journalist, author, interviewer and broadcaster. And down through the years, one of my great delights is, if not presenting radio programmes about the music I love, then being asked to discuss it on someone else's radio show. What follows is one such clip of myself and Mike Murphy, Ireland's greatest art show presenter ever, discussing something I wrote about during my tenure tenure with the Irish Times. You see, during that decade, the 1990s, I also happened to be the popular music correspondent for the art show on RT Radio 1. And both that station and the Irish Times like to see themselves as the radio station and newspaper of record, respectively. These programme segments, and sometimes full shows, would usually occur after Mike read an article I wrote and phoned me to appear on the programme, or after I myself would recommend an item that might be of interest to our listeners and even provide a script, around which Mike and I would happily improvise. By the way, if you want to read some of the articles I wrote about music, the arts and popular culture in general, plus politics, check out my website, joejacksoninterviewer.com. The singer-songwriters, and particularly the new breed of female singer-songwriter, is what Joe Jackson is here to talk to us about today. Tari Amos, Melissa Etheridge and Alanis Morissette have all released successful new albums and Alanis Morissette has swept the Grammys with six nominations. Well, they are in the new wave of American female rock artists remarkable for their loud, sassy styles. Is that a fair description, Joe, or have you other things you would like to add or subtract? Why are they so appealing? Well, I think they, they've always been particularly appealing here. I remember going back to Jennifer Warren's album of Leonard Cohn's material, Broke Bigger Here Than It Did Anywhere Else, and the phenomenon of A Woman's Heart, and Sinead O'Connor, Mary Black. There's always been a, an interest in, they're not all singer-songwriters, but female singers, presenting what I would regard as more holistic, more emotionally complex, and often musically more exciting uh, uh, work than a lot of their counterparts in grunge, rock, rap, hip-hop, or... Uh, white boy guitar rock and roll because if you listen or you break down a lot of the lyrics even with the Oasis and the Blurs and watch their stage acts and watch the videos all they're basically saying most of the time is am I a great lay you know it's a selling of the self and the lyrics only echo that sentiment whereas if you break down the lyrics of most of the, the women you've uh, mentioned there it sexuality comes into it but it's far more complex far more interesting so I think uh, the rest of the world is basically catching up with Ireland in relation to the popularity of this new breed. So who would these women have been influenced by? Were they other female icons, Janice and whoever else, or were they male stars? Like you know, take Melissa Etheridge, for example. Yeah, well, I think uh, that's a question that I have asked. I, I used to ask until my wrist was slapped in interviews because it's sexist to actually ask, uh, no offence to you, it's sexist for me to ask a woman singer-songwriter, was she only influenced by women singer-songwriters? So many have pointed out to me, yes, they listened to Joni and Janicine, and uh, but Melissa Etheridge would say that Bruce Springsteen has been by far a stronger influence on her. So it's probably fair to say that the whole pantheon of rock and folk and country and all those areas have, have influenced them, as with male, their counterparts, male singer-songwriters. How do they get signed up? Like Melissa Etheridge, for example, how did she get the big break? Well, she was, discovered in, uh, she was discovered in a nightclub by, I think, Chris Blackwell in Los Angeles uh, doing this. Uh, and it's something I, I talked with her recently and she was claiming that people in Europe tend to say to her that her music is too macho, it's too in your face, it's too assertive, it's too male rock and rolly. But she said she doesn't get that in the States. And it was that very detail and that very factor that uh, made her appeal to, I think, Island Records mm -hmm. when they, they presented her work first time round. So what does she sing about? 
she says, well, her argument uh, when I I, her argument uh, for the assertiveness in her lyrics is basically she is a lesbian, but didn't come out till about four or five years ago. So she claims that the energy behind many of the songs, including the one we're going to play, that the energy is very much a woman, a lesbian woman asserting herself sexually in the broadest sense after years of keeping that in the closet. And I saw her in Switzerland maybe eight years ago, the first time I ever saw her perform. And there was an amazing sexual energy to her. I didn't know that that was, and apparently I was one of the factors that made her come out because I referred to her male lover in the article not knowing. But all the songs have this incredible sexual power and I want to come over, the song we're playing, has also this predatory nature of sexuality in which she wants to come over to presumably her woman lover's house after her lover's car has left the driveway. Right, there we had Melissa Etheridge and I want to come over. Now, Joe Jackson, in that I want to come over, now she is selling sex or she is certainly airing her views on her own sexuality, uh-huh. but you were denigrating some of the white boy groups, as you called them earlier on, for selling sex as well. I don't think she's selling sex. I think she's asserting her sexuality, whereas the whole code in rock culture from Presley forward has been the selling of what feminists describe as cock rock. It's a definition, it's a generic term saying what's being sold in relation to everything from movements on stage to looks to participation in movies to the nature of the lyrics and the aggressive, uh, forceful nature of the music is all uh, phallic-centred. Whereas when you listen to Melissa Etheridge or Alanis Morissette, it's sexuality in the context, in the holistic context of being a woman, which is a much different thing. Well, then talk about Alanis Morissette. This woman has now been nominated for six Grammy Awards, which is Mm -hmm. quite extraordinary. And her name might not be that familiar to too many people. Yeah, no, she's uh, she's Madonna's protege. And part of this assertion, as we're talking about the assertion of sexuality or the assertion of womanhood, uh, as in the self-defined true sexuality, comes from the fact that uh, Madonna has showed this interest in her, signed her to her own label, and is very much behind this album. And the album, yeah, got six Grammy nominations, which is phenomenal. It's not. Many people are saying it's her first album. It's not. It's her third. And she was a child prodigy, and she's, she's actually not allowing the first two albums to be reissued to capitalize on this. But again, these are very dark. They're very aggressive, but they're also very poetic, very poetic lyrics, but very sexual, in which she castigates the managing director of a record company who wanted to wine, dine, and 69 me. And there are other lyrics of an incredibly explicit sexual nature in it. But there's also threads of jealousy, the complex complexities of uh, emotion in romance. And it's 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 a very multi-layered album. And I can see why it's won so many nominations. Again, her influences, where do they come from? Who are her influences? Well, the classic influence for her, and I just think it's I was reading an interview with her, is that uh, she listened to the last person we're going to discuss. She said that she listened to Tori Amos's album, Little Earthquakes and cried for hours on the floor saying there is a woman expressing what I'm feeling but could never put into words. And I think it's wonderful that she now has followed Tori, released this album, and it will appeal to the same people and is appealing to the same people. Haven't some people said that she sounds a little like Dolores O'Riordan of the Cranberries, or would you go along with that? No, I, those, those parallels, I'm far more interested. Yeah, I suppose she does. But then a lot of people say Tori Amos sounds like Kate Bush. I just have no time for those kind of uh, superficial comparisons. If you break down the structure of their songs, they're worlds apart. You know, it's like, does it matter? All right, what are we going to hear now? <laughs> Her song, You Ought to Know. Well, now, there we had Alanis Morissette and You Ought to Know. Now, our final singer that we're featuring in this segment, uh, Joe Jackson, is Tori Amos. And um, I know that her, her latest album was recorded in a church down in Delgany, County Wicklow. Yeah, part of it was recorded in Delgany. And uh, this, to me, is what makes her one. It's, it's an aspect of her talent and her approach to art, which makes her, to me, one of the most fascinating 
artists in rock at the moment, male, female and all stops in between. The fact that she would record part of the album in a church is part of her, again, her asserting her womanhood in the face of the repressive background she had, which was she is the daughter of a minister. So I won't where, quote. Where, where, from where in the States? She, I think, uh, I can't quite remember. Oklahoma, I think. Is it? Right. Yeah. So part of the thing is, and I won't quote any more cheeky lyrics, we've had enough for today. But uh, part of her uh, argument is that to go and actually sing those uh, lyrics that assert a woman's sexuality in a church is a mark of defiance. It's a mark of political defiance. And that's part of the reason she recorded the songs there. Also for the ambience and the sound of the piano when she plays. You know, so there are aspects of her work that uh, that I think make her one of the most articulate. This this the album Boys uh, for Pele has yeah. has been very highly acclaimed, hasn't it? Well, it was uh, it was very much criticised in advance by a lot of rock critics because they thought it, it wasn't as, as accessible and it's not as her previous two albums, which were hugely popular, particularly here in Ireland. And it's uh, it's dense lyrically. It's very kind of postmodern in terms of the musical structures. The way, she the way she breaks chords up, the way she sings. It's not an easy listening album at any level. And yet, despite all the criticism it got from rock critics and pop critics, and even her record company, who, who apparently, she told me, they said, you know, uh, people are going to find it very hard to find their way into this album. The album has still gone ahead and soared into the top ten in Britain and America, which I think is amazingly inspiring. She's been involved in music from a very early age. Yeah, she was. She again, like Alanis, is a child a prodigy, and she was playing classical piano, and then she moved over into the uh, into into rock pop. She did kind of baccarat and all that stuff in nightclubs, but I think what's most um, the most dominant force. I saw her play here in Dublin, and it was an audience that was ninety percent women, and I think what what women in particular tune into is the nature of the areas of the psyche she's exploring, and pivotal to it all is a rape experience she had maybe 10 years ago, and she wrote about it in a song called Me and a Gun, which has since won her a visionary award from the Washington, D.C. Rape Crisis Center. And I've talked with her extensively about this. Much of the new album and many of the songs that she has written since that experience are an attempt, and this sounds abstract, but certainly to anyone who's experienced rape, I'm sure it isn't. They're an attempt by her to pull back the fragments she feels of her body, of her soul, of her psyche, that were torn apart at knife point for three hours one night in a rape experience. So she's written that song, and the new album has all these fragments of what she describes as her womanhood. Different voices, different women through history, different experiences she's had articulated over 18 songs. It's, it's, it's a mammoth landscape, and it's magnificent music. And does she go back to the States very often, or does she just she have bad memories <clears throat> of the country? No, well, she, she, she's based here. She's based here? She lives here, yeah. Does and she? She doesn't... Uh, I mean, she, she tours in America, but she wants to be based here for whatever reasons. I think she relates to a lot of the religious kind of undercurrents, the things about religion uh, uh, that are coming to the fore here in Ireland and the way we as a nation are having yes. to face that. And she sees parallels of that in her own music. Would there be so there are all those resonances. And I think people actually relate to it when you listen to it. Like Alanis Morissette said, she just cried when she heard it. And when I listen to it as a man, you don't necessarily intellectually understand exactly what she's singing but you certainly feel something. And mm. it brings you maybe closer to a feeling you tried to articulate yourself. And I think that's where art serves its greatest purpose. And I think that's what Tori Amos is doing for millions of people. And where, again, did she get her inspiration? <coughs> or who did she listen to? Or who did she try to emulate? Who does she write like? Well, again, she doesn't... Uh, she's kind of... I mean, she, she's, she's an example of what we started out talking about, which is people say, again, she sounds like Kate Bush. Boring. Who cares? She actually plays piano like Jimi Hendrix plays guitar, which is far more interesting. 
So her heroes would have been uh, Led Zeppelin. They were Joni Mitchell, and she sings some of Joni's songs on the second sides of her singles. So it's a whole host of influences. But again, I don't think when you're talking about artists like uh, Tori Amos or indeed any artists, to limit it to just their musical influences is to take a myopic view of things. She would be equally influenced by her part Cherokee background on a spiritual level, by the mix of being part German, Scots, Irish, English, uh, all Mm. those nationalities the writers she reads, the Southern Gothic novelists. So I think it's better to kind of say people's cultural influences because I interviewed Dara Williams in the, for the Irish Times next Friday and she says she's more influenced by Rothko's paintings than she would be by Joan Baez. Mm. And I think that's the way artists operate. So with Tori Amos, it's a whole network. And all of this comes through the colours in her music, the way she plays piano, the classical yes. musical influences, the folk influences. It's a really rich tapestry. They seem, to be, they seem to be more rounded figures than well, many that of the... Far, doesn't that sound far more exciting than the white boy guitar group rockers who just say, I'm an I great lay, which is the coded message. I mean, that's, that's, it's, a, it's a much wider landscape. And that's why I would hope that in time, as we come to the end of the century, this kind of dominance of cock rock will be usurped, particularly by women like Tori Amos, Alanis Morissette and, and others. What are we going to hear from Tori Amos? We're going to end with Tori's song, Hey Jupiter, which is uh, sad, dark, but immensely beautiful. And it's about partly about the breakup of her previous relationship and the beginning of the relationship she apparently is now having with the guy she's living with in Ireland. Joe Jackson, thank you. Hi, Joe Jackson here again. I thank you for listening to this edition of the Joe Jackson Interviews podcast. And don't forget, if you want to read any of my articles, check out my website, joejacksoninterviewer.com.